Thank you that you are a God who abounds with grace. You, uh, you, you've come and you've promised us that you'll be present in the preached word. Help us to turn to you. Help us as, as I speak. Help me to believe and to trust you. Help those who hear to believe and trust you. That however this works, you are really faithful to, to teach us, to guide us, to shepherd us, and to renew us. And so we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, so what do you think about giving? What do you think about financial giving? Giving to the church, giving to good causes. What do you think about that? We give ourselves to we give ourselves away. We give ourselves to projects. We give ourselves to worthy causes. We give ourselves to ourselves, don't we? We uh, we're trying to collect for ourselves many many experiences. One writer said this of her life. She said that she was always striving. And here's a quote. That she had a miser-like grabbing and piling up of experience. Listen to that. A miser-like grabbing and piling up of experience. She was always driving herself to do more things, to read more books, to learn more languages, to see more people, to not miss anything. And she wanted to get on with things and to be full of purpose. The fear of missing out. It's one of the reasons why we don't commit to something. If something's about a month away, it's hard for us to commit to it because why, if we commit to that, we might miss out on something else better that comes up, right? This miser-like grabbing and piling up of experience, this is our heartbeat. This is what we were born with and desire to live for. And now in the middle of our Bible, right here in the middle of the New Testament, we have this appeal to, to the Corinthians, give away your financial some part of your finances to a good and worthy cause. Now, just to get oriented, what's going on here is that the Apostle Paul has been collecting uh, love offerings, essentially, um, special offerings from churches. These are non-Jew Gentile churches, places like Macedonia and Greece. And he's been collecting these things, and early on in his ministry, actually there was a gathering of the Apostles, and this is recorded in Galatians, where he is told that one of the ministries he should focus on is giving to the poor. Well, we find out that he is an apostle to the non-Jews. So he goes into what we now call Europe, and God begins to bless his ministry. And what he remembers is, I am commissioned also to remember the poor. And this unique thing happens. What ha- Well, and sad thing happens is that is that there's a drought and a famine in Jerusalem. And the Christians who live there, Jews, converted Jews, are suffering. This goes on actually for decades. And the Apostle Paul takes it upon himself to, to do this. Wouldn't it be cool if, not sure he used that language, wouldn't it be cool if, 
we got these non-Jews to express the unity of the body of Christ. And if they would care out of their finances for the poor in Jerusalem. And so this is his vision. And there's various biblical reasons for it. Of course, you can think of the primary one would be just expressing the unity of the body of Christ. And so Paul goes around, and he's not only a church planter, he's not only bringing people to faith, he's not only an apologist explaining the gospel to to non-Christians and defending the gospel. He is this remarkable person who is turning to Christians and, and having them grow in their, in their faith and to give to this project. And so he is appealing to the Corinthians. Remember that offering I talked to you about. And approximately about a year earlier, the Corinthians had committed to this project. And here in 2 Corinthians, we have Paul reminding them, hey, you were committed to this, and I want to stir up the grace that's in you or the grace that can be in you to give to this project. So the Corinthians are being challenged to give. But in our text, they're challenged to not give because of compulsion or obligation, but to give freely, give freely, give joyfully. So he, first of all, to do this, there's a lot of details in verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to cover those. Just going to get to kind of the heart the heart of it. I love in verse 6 where he basically says, now the whole point of this, actually says that in your Bible there, you can see it there in verse 6, uh, the whole point is, and the whole point is, and then he illustrates this by a kind of a, uh, a saying or a image from farming. Now the whole point is, uh, you know what, if you were to sow abundantly, you'll reap abundantly, like a farmer. If a farmer were to plant 10 seeds of corn in the ground, well, the odds are that farmer would get 10 corn stalks. Well, that's not a lot of corn. But if a farmer were to plant 5,000 seeds, well, now we're talking, right? So Paul, in verse 6, basically draws from a very basic, simple, very simple thing. He says, well, it's like this. It's like when you think about a farmer committing seed to the soil, well, if he sows miserly, if he doesn't really sow, doesn't really commit, then he doesn't reap much. It's pretty simple. And if he reaps, if he sows a lot, he reaps a lot. That kind of sets up Paul's reasoning. And then he really gets going in verse 7 because he cites scripture to encourage giving generously and freely because God loves a cheerful giver. Okay, that's interesting. That's okay. That's nice that God wants people to give generously and freely. And then he refers to God's readiness to provide what's necessary for generosity. That picks up in verse 8. And I really like verse 8. I mean, I like all the verses, but I really like how verse 8 begins to picture something that I want to talk about. So Paul assures those who might worry that they might not have enough seed to sow into the rich into it for a rich harvest basically says this you know what when it comes to what you need and even what you need to give god will be there for you god is going to supply the seed itself and then he also says you know what's going to happen is 
as people, the, the Christians in Jerusalem, as they receive this offering that flows from your generosity, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to praise God. They're going to thank God. So, this offering is really a way for us to figure out, as we watch what Paul says to the Corinthians, do they really understand God's ability to provide grace? Do the Corinthians really get it? Of course, we're asking that question of ourselves, aren't we? And then, do they really understand that grace is not just functioning when it comes to money, Grace is functioning in every moment of our lives. And that this grace that works in generosity is the grace that works all the time. So I want to just talk for a moment about grace empowering our lives and empowering the moments of our lives. And then God's ability to provide grace to be accessed in the moments of our lives. And then God's gifts produce an overflow of the heart that lead to worship. I'll unpack these things. Grace is to empower the moments of our lives. Paul could have said, hey, give to this worthy project. He could have appealed emotionally, sort of, you know, and he could have gone on and on about how bad the drought is. But he really doesn't do that at all. He could have gone on and on about, you know, the situation that the Jerusalem believers were experiencing, but he doesn't do that. He doesn't really even talk that much about the recipients he does toward the end he basically says that this what you need is to be empowered to give the text does have to do with financial giving and the simplest way to interpret this passage is is to say that god blesses those who give financially it's it's really all throughout the text god blesses those who give financially But as we watch the text, especially in verse 8, we begin to see something different develop. God is able to make all grace. Notice grace has now expanded. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times. Oh, wow, we just, we just discovered something big about grace. In other words, for each of our lives, the moments that we are living are intended to be lived as a result of grace. We need grace for every aspect of the Christian life. What should characterize the Christian is the grace of generosity that flows from heaven to us and through us. The generosity of patience with someone. The generosity of forbearing with someone. The generosity of listening to someone. The generosity of, and you can now insert, the kinds of generosity that could be demonstrated in our lives. It's a very sad thing, some of you know this, that the TV hucksters, the televangelists, use this imagery of seed the seed stuff, right? And they use this thing like seed faith giving and all this sort of thing so that for some reason they they get on TV. Well, I know what reason it is. You know what reason it is. They like cash. Uh, 
And it's really a sad, heretical thing that they're doing, presenting a falsehood about the Christian life, telling an audience that their seed faith, and it's always they've had some vision of 142 people giving $1,700. Have you seen this sort of thing? Uh, and that these people will be blessed of God financially and promised a return of thousands and thousands of dollars. I've had a number of encounters with non-Christians who ask of me if this, they watch this and they don't know anything else, but they ask of me, is that the real deal? Is that what Christianity is? And I say emphatically, no. They are begging and they are pleading and sometimes even mocking those who don't believe and pressing constantly for the viewers to respond. In fact, what's quite remarkable is verse 7 says people are to give, uh, avoiding to be reluctantly and not under compulsion. Well, just watch these guys do their thing, and they are, well, it's hard not to be under compulsion when you're watching them. The Jesus jackpot. After all, you're a king's kid, right? And it's, by the way, it's a Real theology, I mean, it's a whole, it's just a whole deal. Um, uh, One time talk with someone uh, of this persuasion uh, that we are supposed to be rich as we follow Jesus. I was was talking to a person who worked at a church that actually taught this stuff. So I uh, I was at a seminar, and in between a break, I asked them, I I talked to them about some, I affirmed that they were doing a, a, a sweet outreach to homeless people. And I asked them about their health, wealth, prosperity gospel. And I said, uh, d- does it, uh, is it a problem that after some time, these whom you've reached out to, uh, their financial situation doesn't change? I'm just, just tossing that out there. Is that a problem as you are encountering these folks? And d- does it, do they get discouraged? And I can't remember their exact answer, but this person told me that you have to understand Jesus was wealthy. And I said, whoa, it's never... never Where's that coming from? And they said, well, you realize that they gambled for Jesus' robe. And his robe must have been worth just thousands of dollars. I said, okay. All right. I'm just, okay, so this is, you, you, if, you, if you want this, if you want this to be your theology, then you will find text to somehow prove it, right? Nothing could be further than the truth when Jesus says the foxes have holes, Right, uh, and I don't have a place to lay my head. So, but uh, this stuff is sadly—I don't mean to go on a little hobby horse here—but this stuff is sadly being broadcast through cable TV around the world. So you can be in a hotel lobby in Chiang Mai, Thailand, and you can see this stuff. And the, the saving grace is—it's in English, and everyone speaks Thai. So that's the saving grace. <laughs> so. So essentially, it's good that you desire to give and you're motivated by love and concern for others. And that giving, this is an interesting thing, giving is a ministry. It's affirmed in various parts of our text. Giving is a ministry. And it leads to abounding in every good work. So God blesses people who look in faith and give to the work of the church or to a worthy cause. But much more is going on here. Look at verse 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you. God is able to work and provide for you 
what you need in all the aspects of your life. God is working and God is sufficient to bring us to that place of dependency where he is working. So not only is God working in the moments, but we are to actually look to him and his ability to provide grace. Look at verse 8. God is able, just focus on verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound to you. You're in a pressure situation right now in your life. Something's uncomfortable, something you don't like. Think of this verse. God is able to make all grace abound to you right now. Something you don't want to do, something you are not interested in doing in, in in your flesh, and, and just don't want to do it. Some of you are just rugged individuals. You just, you just, you just do. When you, when you hear the word duty, you're all over it. You do it. But what about doing it cheerfully? What about doing it willingly, not begrudgingly? So the context here is cheerful giving, but it's also serving God's purposes cheerfully as well. So grace expands. Tell you, I, uh, uh, I don't know why. Well, I'll share. I'll share this with you. All right. So, uh, our sweet friend Scotty Smith. You guys all remember Scotty Smith? Okay, Scotty Smith. He's a great guy. So Scotty fell in love with Hawaiian coffee, and I'm his supplier. So he gives me a text every few months and says, "Hey, brother, I'm thirsty." Oh, man. So the other day I was at Costco, and I looked at, the co- I looked at the coffees, and I didn't do anything. I said, man, that's going to be a hassle. I've got to put this in a box. I've got to ship it to, to, uh, to Tennessee. And I just walked right past it. And I said, well, I'll just do that some other time. Right in front of the coffees for my friend Scotty. I just said, no way. Now, that's the guy who's preaching to you, right? Meaning that in that moment, what, what should have flooded my heart? Wow, this, is this really a lot of effort, Todd? Is this really overwhelming you, right? In other words, I should have reasoned with the gospel power saying, okay, reach over, grab a bag, grab two bags for Scotty, put it in your cart. Are you okay now? Whew. Right? Now you're going to get a box, then you're going to go to UPS, or, right? And right? these are the, right? But I didn't. I just. I just thought. You know, I'll get to it. I've got a lot going on, right? Grace is an unending source of power. That's what's being presented here, at all times. And drop down to verse eleven. You'll be enriched in every way. Look at verse eleven. You'll be enriched in every way, right there, Costco aisle number four. You'll be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way. Uh-oh. Whoa. Grace is functioning in us as an unending source of power. Now, here's the idea. Your money can be depleted. Let's say you give 100 bucks, or In other words, you can run out of money. You can't run out of love. You can't run out of the, of the grace that's available to you. 
Being enriched in every way means you are tapped into an unending source of power and strength. Now, we're all sizing up our lives, aren't we? This is my personality. I can't do this. I can't do it. I do this. This is my, uh, my Myers-Briggs. Or this is what, and so we've got, we've got ourselves assessed. We've figured out ourselves, and we say no to certain things. We've got Hannah up here asking, you know, uh, we need help in the nursery. And we thought, uh, you know. I want us, and I would think God, our God would want us to be enriched in every way and generous in every way. And that might sound exhausting. That might sound like we have to have no, no parameters on our lives. That's not true. But you are going to have a capacity to love at 12 o'clock, at 1 o'clock, At 2 p.m., grace is going to accompany you every moment of your life. You are going to, by God's grace, learn the secret of a bountiful heart. That's what God's doing. He's training us, isn't he? Think about the disciples. They're tiny little hearts. They're tiny little kingdoms. They're tiny little agendas. They're tiny little ambitions. They're tiny little goals. Watching Jesus do miracles. Watching Jesus calm the sea. Tiny little, tiny little agendas. Tiny little, and they discover grace that will accompany them into the darkness, into the difficulties, and even to death itself. In a small little children's book called The Mysteries of Life in Children's Literature, the author states, The mystery of goodness, then, is the secret of the bountiful heart which is capable of loving and giving as God does. What we have in the gospel is God being our pace setter in generosity. God is giving of himself. And now this giving to us is a movement of divine grace. In the language of Paul in Galatians 2.20, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the moments of my life. I needed faith in the moment there in the Costco law in the Costco aisle. I needed faith to capture the imagination of my heart in that moment. And for us we are called in the moments of our life to live by this unending grace. One last thought, God's gifts produce an overflow of the heart that lead to worship. Verses 10 through 15. The Apostle Paul is essentially saying, when the Jerusalem believers receive this financial gift, they're going to praise God because they will know this came from his, from his spirit. Those who have never seen us, those who don't, don't know us personally, are expressing the spiritual nature of the church and we are in union together. Verse 12, it will be 
and overflowing in many to the thanksgiving of God. And Paul anticipates that they will long to pray for you. They will lift you up, you Corinthians, before God. And then verse 15, I just want to move here quickly. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, meaning Christ. The inexpressible gift is continuing to give us the desire to give. There's a continual flow of grace from this inexpressible gift of Jesus. Why is this so important, this offering? This offering was a symbolic breaking down of racial division. It is a gesture expressing the breakdown of racial barriers. The most radical break the most radical barriers in the in the Bible between two groups are the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul sees the gift of Christ as an inexpressible gift meaning He's coming after one of the core issues of humanity, and that is racism. This is a small gesture, but a worthwhile gesture of unity within the body of Christ. Expressing, beholding forth to the world what the, what the future looks like. People from every tribe, tongue, nation in unity together under the cross. How does this happen? The gift is given to us through the suffering of Christ, and now we participate in the suffering of others. Now, as a church, we need to grow in this area. We need to learn. Some of you have strong mercy gifts. We need to learn from you. The grace that arrived in Jesus is now moving again. That's it. So what we want, what we want, we pray for for our church, for, for the church on Oahu, the church around the world. The grace that's moving in Jesus is moving again in us. And it's moving through us. And it's leading to worship. It's leading to a confession of the gospel. It's leading to a testimony about the gospel. And so the one who became poor for our sake in order to make us rich is among us now, reminding us of his poverty, reminding us of our wealth, reminding us of his ascension into glory and his giving gifts to the church in order for us to bless others. And so let's ask God to move in us into the spirit of generosity, not only just in giving, but in the moments of our lives. And uh, you pray that God will interact with me in the aisles of supermarkets. You pray, and I'll pray for you. And who knows, cheerfulness might just overcome us. And our self-orientation might just be diminished 
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this sweet passage of the Bible. We thank you for the sweetness of this grace that we've talked about. We pray that it would really be a movement of divine grace among us, that the divisions of race and national heritage would be broken down in Christ. Father, that we would be those who commit to a life of building bridges and connecting with people who are different than us and to be generous with our lives. Father, I pray and thank you for the one who was generous to us. Father, this outrageous grace that came to us, that moves in us now. Lord, help us to be re-astonished again that you, you would want us, desire us to grow in this grace. We ask you to to help us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.